Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. If you're new to this whole world of baby led weaning and starting solid foods, you might still be on the fence as to whether this approach is going to work for you. And if that's the case, I want to send you my free feeding guide called Will Baby Led Weaning Work for My Baby? This is a guide that contains a decision tree map that you can work your way through to determine if this is the right approach for you guys and then when it's time to start. Grab your copy of Will Baby Led Weaning Work for My Baby on my website at babyledweaning.co slash resources. Once the child has shown us that they naturally on their own can be in a seated position, we invite them to sit at a weaning table. And a weaning table basically is a very low table with a little chair that is very low to the ground so their feet are firm on the ground. And this is a way that we introduce the self-feeding because it is this idea that now food becomes a different type of relationship. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. Are you guys familiar with this concept of the Montessori weaning table? It's like a kid's table, a really small table with a small chair for children to sit at and for children to eat from. And advocates of the Montessori approach to parenting and education are fans of this idea of the weaning table, which can range in cost anywhere from $100, comparable with the standard high chair, and then it kind of goes up from there. Full disclosure, I've never purchased, bought, worked with, had a kid that ate from a Montessori table, but I see that and I'm I'm curious about this idea of the weaning table because, you know, there are a lot of overlaps with the baby-led weaning approach to starting solid foods and some of the Montessori methods. So I wanted to speak with a Montessori specialist, and my guest today is Jean-Marie Pennell. Now, Jean-Marie is a Montessori parenting mentor She has a master's degree in Montessori education, and Jean-Marie is going to talk a little bit about Montessori in general, the four different areas of the Montessori home. We're going to focus on the feeding area and how the weaning table plays into this, the pros, the cons of it. I'll kind of share my thoughts on it and how it might not be totally aligned with baby-led weaning, but then also if you are using a high chair, how you can incorporate some of the ideas of Montessori in your feeding environment. But she's also going to be talking about the sleeping room for Montessori. Always kind of blows my mind when I see you guys with all your pictures and videos of the floor beds that you're using. I'm a crib person. But hey, you know, babies feeding themselves brisket is not for everyone too. So I get it. Okay, the point here is to learn about different approaches. And I'm really grateful that Jean-Marie Pinel is here to share about this idea of the weaning table and whether or not we really need one. Well, thanks for having me. It's a delight to be here. I am so excited. I know we have talked extensively kind of preparing for this episode, and I am so interested to learn everything about Montessori parenting with with exceptional interest in this idea of the weaning table. But before we get started, could you just give our audience 
a little bit of a background and let us know what it is that you do in the Montessori and parenting space? Sure. So I am a, I call myself a parenting mentor. And basically it comes from the fact that in midlife, I decided to change complete careers and went back to school, got a master's in Montessori education and fell in love with all of the principles that I felt parents really needed to know about these, you know, kind of important principles about raising another human being. And so I've really been on a mission for the past, you know, 20 years to really share all of this information and understanding that Montessori starts at birth and goes through adolescence. So really that big chunk of our life where we are parenting And if we have all of this valuable information that, you know, Dr. Maria Montessori discovered more than 100 years ago, uh, it makes life just a bit easier. So that's that's where I'm at. And I know you're based in San Diego, as am I. So I know you've kind of been dipping your toe back in in in-person events. I went to an in-person event in L.A. yesterday and it was like amazing. But I was also like, ah, I just spent six hours in a car like I do not miss that part of in-person stuff, but tell us a little bit about the work you do on a day-to-day basis. So basically I work both privately and in group settings. I also do uh, consultations in schools. So sometimes a school might need uh, a bit of mentoring for their teachers or they're interested in Montessori and want to adapt the environment. So I go in and do a little bit of training with the teachers and then look at the environments and give them advice there. But where I really uh, love working is directly with parents. So that's my my one-on-one program where I really help them see their homes from their child's perspective, from really the, the needs that our little ones have, and really, you know, let them understand that we've been living in a very adult-centric environment. And when we welcome little ones, well... They have different needs than ours. So it's really about welcoming a guest that has different needs into our homes and how do we adapt that all the while keeping it super simple. Um, I'm, I err on the minimalist uh, side. So I don't, you know, want you to feel overwhelmed. So I do that. I also am a birth doula. So I work with families also. Uh, before birth. And then I love the postpartum visits where, you know, again, I get to help them understand a little bit more about their children's needs. And you're also the host of your own podcast, The Art of Parenting. What inspired you to start that podcast? So that uh, really a few years back when I first started my business, I was doing some uh, interview summits, right? It's, It's where you interview. And I remember being so nervous about reaching out to, you know, people like you who are experts in their field and everything. And then once I got going, I really enjoyed having these in-depth conversation. And also the feedback that I got from parents was extraordinary, where it was, you know, the, the, the way that I was asking questions, interviewing them, just really helped them see parenting in a different light. And so I decided that why do just these 21 day summits, like I could be doing this every day. So that's really where I started the art of parenting, where I interview um, experts. Sometimes I do just, you know, Q&A myself, or, you know, if there's a topic that I want to share about, and I've just really enjoyed having in-depth conversation with 
uh, experts in a variety of fields that pertain to parenting. So that's where the art of parenting came from. On my interminable car ride home from LA yesterday, I was listening to your episode about liberated parenting with Yolanda Williams, and I really enjoyed it. I find podcasts are one of the best ways to educate yourself, especially about concepts that might be new or unfamiliar, or if you're uncertain about, gosh, you know, is this really for me? And I'm curious if you could summarize for our audience, you know, what are the basic principles of the Montessori method? And maybe how does that differ from, I don't know if you would say more traditional education or child rearing? What is the the crux of Montessori all about? Okay, so I have been uh, corrected on the use of traditional. So it is conventional, not traditional, because there are cultures that have different traditions. So in, in that sense. So the main picture, the main difference with Montessori education, so this is about, you know, more of a school setting, is this notion that we are all born with the desire to learn and to adapt to our time, place, and culture, right? And this happens from the very beginning. So understanding that and knowing that we just need to really follow the child. So it's really, it's an education that is child-driven, that we trust that children just have a desire to learn and that they basically have this inner knowing that they know what they need to learn to to move along, right? And so instead of it being like in the conventional education where it is very adult-driven, where it is an adult who is going to decide, you know, with their lesson plan what these 25 little children are going to learn, contrary to that, when I had 25 little children, and it's a mixed age group also, which is a big difference with conventional education where we separate children by birthdays. Here, we're keeping them in the same environment for three years. So they really uh, socialize with younger children, older children, and it's just beautiful to see how they help each other. But I had, so having, you know, 25 little ones that were ranging from two and a half to five and a half, I had 24, 25 different lesson plans. So it's very individualized uh, education. It is child-driven. It is also very uh, hands-on. So a lot of manipulatives, a lot of uh, concepts that is really first taught in a very sensorial sense without, you know, trying to put equations to things, but letting them work with these three-dimensional puzzles, which later on is going to reveal an algebraic formula, for example. So it's very sequential. We work with a progression and we really let the child repeat activities as many times as they need to, to feel that they have mastered the skill that is at hand. And I think that is a really important one where we really respect the child's flow and the child's concentration which again, in conventional education, we're going to interrupt our children just about every 20 minutes to ask them to change activities, to go on to something else. Well, not everybody, you know, can work in a 20 minute time frame. Uh, some children will need to repeat an activity three, four or five times before they, they grasp it, right? And so a big part of Montessori education and Montessori at home is this idea that we are guides. We are really, we've been on planet earth a bit longer and we're just helping them, you know, find their way and guiding them. And we use the tool of observation, observation without judgment, without, you know, preconceived ideas, without comparison, but just 
see what they're interested in and feed that curiosity more. So that's why I say it's really child-driven. We look at each individual child. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit betterhelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. And of course, so many of the things that you're saying are resonating with our audience and parents and caregivers who are interested in baby-led weaning and that whole baby-led approach, you know, this notion that babies can eat so many more foods than we give them credit for. We don't have to do it all for them. I want to talk about kind of the overlap between our two areas, this notion of a weaning table or a Montessori weaning table. What is it? Is it necessary? What are your thoughts on the weaning table? We get tons of questions from parents who are interested in Montessori and doing baby led weaning, like what's the deal with the weaning table? Right, right. So, so, so just to backtrack just a little bit before I, I, I answer your question, is the, the idea of Montessori in our homes, we are, like I said, we're really looking at the environment from the child's perspective. And from day one, we try to set up these four different areas in the home kind of as a point of reference for them so that they know what happens in each of the areas, right? So there's going to be a sleeping area, a feeding area, a uh, physical care area, and then the movement area, which evolves pretty quickly because once they start getting mobile. And so knowing that we have those four environments, the feeding one at first is, you know, very adult centric because we want the caregiver to be comfortable while they are, whether they're, you know, breastfeeding or bottle feeding, that they're, they have this relationship with the child. And so the idea of the weaning table in Montessori is, first of all, when we say weaning, we're not talking about weaning them off breast milk. You know, it's just about the introduction to solid foods. So the idea of the weaning table is once the child has shown us that they naturally on their own can be in a seated position, they might need, you know, a little bit of prop, but they're able to get themselves in a seated position. We invite them to sit at a weaning table and a weaning table basically is a very low table with a little chair that is very low to the ground. So their feet are firm on the ground. And this is a way that we introduce the self-feeding, right? Or that we are, we are feeding them because it is this idea that now 
food becomes a different type of relationship. Up until now, they have been in our arms. Uh, we've been, you know, we've been holding them close to us, feeding them with a bottle. Here, we're we're kind of sitting across from them, and we're having more this this interaction around food, and that's the idea of the weaning table. And then the weaning table can, you know, then stay for when they have snack on their own, for example, and things like that. But the idea also, and why I wanted to say, like, do we really need one, is that I feel sometimes families who want to kind of adopt Montessori principles in their home feel a little stuck in, oh, well, if I don't have this, then I'm not really doing it. So I just want to, you know, say it loud and clear, like, you don't have to have a weaning table to do things properly, right? It's more about how you interact with your child when it comes to food. So if you don't have a weaning table, what I invite you to do, and I, in you know, invite all families to invest into high chairs that are not isolated, where they can come to our dining room table. Because again, food is a social interaction. We're coming together. And I really, really encourage families from, you know, as soon as they possibly can to have meals together at least once a day. This is where the child is going to observe how we use our utensils, how we interact at the table, the conversations we have. And it's just, for me, it's just a a beautiful tool to have as a family, especially when they grow up and they're, you know, things that might, we might not see or hear about if we don't have that place to meet up every day to have our meals together. And I love you're kind of adding that piece in that this doesn't have to be expensive and you're not quote unquote doing it the wrong way if you're not able to buy a $300 weaning table. And, and I, yeah, I've actually had fathers make the weaning table because I have a little plan. They love it. Uh, fathers and grandfathers, for some reason, have downloaded that and made the weaning table. So it's super easy to make, but it's more like some people say, but I don't have the space. It's like, well, you don't, then you don't have to do it. It's more about this interaction. Yes. So yes. And a lot of the weaning tables, just if you guys are kind of looking into them, they're really only safe for children age two and up because it's a little chair and the child is not restrained. And the notion is the freedom of the toddler being able to climb in and out at their own will. But of course, you know, early on in self-feeding, we do need the babies to be securely positioned and sitting in a safe seating environment. And so Jean-Marie mentioned some of the high chairs that are kind of overlapping with the Montessori approach and the baby-led approach. And the Stoka trip trap is one that comes to mind. And I know a lot of Montessori families like that chair. That chair was designed by Peter Opsvik in 1972. It is this iconic kind of wooden ladder design, a small footprint. You pull it right up to the table with the notion being that your baby can be joining you at the table and kind of fostering this idea of family meals, even from the baby's first bites. I know a lot of Montessori is kind of looking at life through the lens of a child. One thing I always just struck me, and, and I, did, I never have purchased or utilized a weaning table myself, but it just sometimes makes me sad to see the little toddlers sitting by themselves. If you have one kid, they're not sitting at the table eating with the family. They're sitting at the weaning table by themselves. And I was just curious about your thoughts on that because that's not aligned with the notion of family meals if the child is eating by themselves. Right. So the weaning table, if you do have one. So first of all, uh, for me, it is safe to use way before two, right? And like I said, it's when they are 
able to sit uh, independently and you might put, you know, a few little pillows to hold them upright. If you want to kind of restrain them in a little bit, put them, you know, back to the wall and push the table up. You're sitting in front of the table. So you're there kind of in front to, to help them. But for me, the weaning table is not, and just like the high chairs with the platter, I mean, I don't, want a child to be by themselves, right? So it's not it's not about this completely independent child. Once in a while, like using the uh, weaning table for snack, like for when the child is a little bit older and actually walking and being able to take things to their table and sit down and have a snack. Sure, because, you know, the whole family is not going to sit down for snack uh, every day. But yeah, I totally agree with you. Like for me, the the first of all, the trip trap, and I actually have one. My daughter is now 26. I still have hers because the, the beauty of the trip trap is that it you you move the place where they set their uh, bottom and where they put their feet. So it it grows with them. So it is a little bit of an investment, but you have it for the rest of your life. But yeah, to go back to the weaning table, to me, it is sad when we see them by themselves. So I really encourage if you have, you know, more than one child and you're sitting down and having a family meal, please invite the baby to sit with you at the table, whether, you know, whether they're eating with you or not, because sometimes, you know, they're on different schedules, but at least that they're there, uh, that they're part of the community. That's very important. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Jean-Marie, one question I have to ask, I know we're talking a lot about feeding today, but I'm interested in one of the other pillars of Montessori, the sleeping area. I know one of my friends was a big Montessori advocate, and I was so surprised we had babies around the same time. And when I walked into her kid's room and the mattress was on the floor, and I was like, are you like waiting for your crib to get delivered? What's going on? You're just like, no, my children sleep on a mattress on the floor. And I had never heard of that. So could you share a little bit about the notion behind the sleeping area? Yes, yes. And I love this question because that is a big kind of tenet of, of, you know, setting up the Montessori environment at home. And the idea about using a floor bed as opposed to a crib is the idea that we want to give our children freedom of movement and the, the notion that from birth, they are still developing their visual sense. So we are placing them on a surface where they can see the entire environment as opposed to in a crib that is, you know, behind bars or behind the bumper pad or whatever. So they're not seeing the entire room. And then the idea of the freedom of movement is that, and it's a big, big, big part of it is about trusting the process, trusting yourself, trusting your child. 
but I have seen it work. I have done it myself. When we invite a child to sleep on a floor bed from the very beginning, so when I say the very beginning, I like to use like a Moses basket, maybe the first two or three months, but I'm still putting it on the floor bed so that they can see where they're at. And a floor bed can also be in the parents' room if they want to you know, share the room at the beginning. But the idea about the floor bed is that from the beginning, we are trusting the child to know that this is the area where we settle down, relax, and sleep. And as they become more mobile, they will be able to slither to the edge. They will feel that there is a difference. They will slither back. If they roll off, that is part of learning that it's way more comfortable to stay on the floor bed. And Remember, this is a low mattress on the bed, so they're not falling from very high. Oftentimes you have a nice you know, carpet underneath it, whatever. But what is the beauty of it is that the child, when the child is tired, they will go to that area and settle down. When the child is done sleeping and resting, they will get up and entertain themselves. They will not scream bloody murder, get me out of this container. And it, again, it goes, you know, with this whole principle of Montessori is that we're we're following the child. And so here, by inviting them to give them this space, we're also trusting them to know when they are tired, as opposed to them being always depending on us to read their cues and so forth. So a beautiful, beautiful approach. It doesn't work for everybody, but I think that if you trust yourself and know that it will work, it's it's beautiful. That same friend, like her second baby was born the same time as my quadruplets were born. And we kind of looked at each other and like, okay, we have different situations. Like (laughs) I can't imagine like the four babies rolling around together. I've seen it with twins and it's beautiful. I mean, the twins will often end up on the same mattress. Yeah. Because that's, you know, that's what they prefer. But it's, I've seen it work in in many homes with, you know, twins and and it works beautifully. So Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing these ideas and the notion. I think Montessori can be confusing or overwhelming to some families. And I really love kind of just the simplistic approach that you give us. And tell us where our audience can go to learn more about your work, Jean-Marie. So mainly my website, yourparentingmentor.com. There you can actually download some uh, freebies I have. I have one actually for setting up the nursery things like that. And otherwise, um, my podcast, The Art of Parenting. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking with you. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Jean-Marie Pinel. If you're using a weaning table and you're doing baby led weaning, send me some videos. Tag me in your pictures or your videos. I'm on Instagram at baby led wean team. You can check out all of Jean-Marie Pinel's resources on the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 314. And a special thanks to our partners at Airwave Media. If you guys like podcasts that feature food and science and using your brain, Airwave Media has some great podcast offerings. Check them out. You can check us out online at blwpodcast.com. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time. From the terrifying power of tornadoes to sizzling summer temperatures, AccuWeather Daily brings you the top trending weather-related story of the day, seven days a week. You can learn a lot in just a few minutes with stories about impending hurricanes, winter storms, or even what not to miss in the night sky. So listen and subscribe to AccuWeather Daily 
wherever you get your podcasts. That's AccuWeather Daily, wherever you get your podcasts.